Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to have this opportunity to open your word this morning. We acknowledge your presence with us in this place, and we simply ask that you would bless us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. We ask, O God, that you do bless the reading and the preaching of your word, that that we stand on the promise that your word is alive, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And so with that, O God, we ask that you would separate our soul, our mind, will, and emotion from our spirit nature, and that you would align our spirits with your Holy Spirit so that we might leave this place with a better understanding of who you are and who you're calling us to be. O God, we love you so. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in just a few minutes, I would like to share a story with you about a man named Nehemiah, a man of integrity and great faith, a risk-taking, servant-hearted leader who had a very compassionate heart, who lived in obedience to God's will for his life through his actions, through his prayer, a man who was truly a man of radical Obedience, who lived out what we know as the gospel truth. He lived it out with great personal sacrifice and self-denial. Nehemiah was a man who had vision and foresight. He had great organizational skills. He had common sense and he had confidence. We have a lot to learn from him. Nehemiah's strength and confidence, the ability to do what he was called to do, came from his faith in God. His joy was a result of that faith as he continued to acknowledge that God's promises are true no matter what happened in his life. So to a large number of the Jewish remnant, Nehemiah spoke words of encouragement and hope. And that's where our scripture verse comes from today. If you would get out your bulletins, please read that verse from Nehemiah 8 with me. Nehemiah 8. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Read it again. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. One more time. Do not be grieved, the joy of the Lord is your is your strength. Now please repeat after me. I will not be grieved. I will not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm here to encourage you this morning. I'm, I'm here to remind you of the truth of God's word and to share with you some suggestions for how we might live a life of joy. Joy in the midst of the negativity that we recognize around us. Joy in the midst of conflict, of the uncertainty in our lives. Joy in the midst of pain and grief and sorrow. I believe joy is a choice. It's one that we need to live out in our daily walks with Jesus, 
Because you see, joy is not what I would call surface level happiness. It is not based on external circumstances. Joy is not based on whether or not we're experiencing challenges in our life. It is not contingent upon getting what we want. And joy is, or perhaps joy is not um, life looking like the way we thought it was going to look. Perhaps the way we dreamed it would look. But instead, I believe joy is knowing that God is a God who keeps his promises. A God who is with us always, no matter what. I believe joy comes from an internal knowing. An internal believing based upon our recognition of God's faithfulness. God is a steadfast, loving God. He has mercy and, and, and his way can make a way when we feel there is no way. Joy. I believe it's that grounded peace in the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of confusion all around us, in the midst of the storms in life. Joy is a strength when we admit our weakness. Joy, a resolve to see that proverbial glass of water half full rather than half empty. I believe joy is a direct result of fully relying on our sovereign God's provision for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Joy is a result of our exercising our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus and believing, believing that God's promises are true. Well, some of you know that the Old Testament book of Nehemiah is an account of the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. And that book reminds us of God's faithfulness throughout all generations. It's a significant part of our spiritual lineage, our spiritual ancestry. Nehemiah firmly believed in who he called the God of heaven. The God who he experienced via judgment and and exile, but also the God who he experienced as covenant God. The one who was faithful to his promises and to his covenant of steadfast love. Nehemiah's name actually means Yahweh, God of compassion. In this case, God's comfort and compassion is much more than sympathy or pity. It's complete restoration for Nehemiah and his fellow Jews. So by the time we're finished this morning, I hope that you will understand that all of this applies to us today as well. The book of Nehemiah is a memoir of sorts. The first 12 chapters tell the story of his return to Jerusalem, and then the final chapter occurs as an update of events 12 years later. I want to summarize his story now, and please understand this could be several weeks in a series of sermons, but I encourage you, if you're open to how the Holy Spirit is leading you, you will hear so many things that will speak directly to you in your life. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. 
in Susa, which was the capital of Persia. Scholars say that that was like a winter resort palace for the king. Initially, Nehemiah's responsibility was to taste the wine and to make sure that the king would not be poisoned. His other responsibility was to become the king's companion. Those two things in themselves are evidence to me that Nehemiah was a risk taker and he was a servant leader interested in building relationship. So when friends of Nehemiah had returned from a trip to their hometown of Jerusalem, Nehemiah asked them, of course, for a report. How were things at home? And their reply was, it's horrible. The city wall has been destroyed. The gates have been burned. It's horrible. And of course, Nehemiah was deeply grieved and immediately he began to pray. He prayed that the exiled persons uh, would, would continue to be restored. He prayed that his hometown, Jerusalem, would be restored. He prayed standing firm on the promises of God. Nehemiah was an encourager. So he told the folks, do not lose heart. He reminded them that God had saved them from the exodus, from slavery in Egypt, and he could save them again. Nehemiah loved God and loved God's people. His heart was burdened for his people. In fact, I'd say he, in that moment, was brokenhearted and experienced a heart full of compassion. For four months, during a season of deep mourning and grieving, Nehemiah fasted and he prayed and he called out to God for God's guidance and God's direction. And after this extended time, because they had developed a relationship, the king actually noticed the deep sadness of Nehemiah and he questioned him. Nehemiah told the king what had happened in the hometown, and he asked permission to go back to Jerusalem. So the king granted his wish. Nehemiah went back home, and once he was back in Jerusalem, he took some time to walk around, to to check things out, to look around, to observe. He was waiting. He was listening. His friends' report were confirmed. Conditions were horrible. But Nehemiah and his people decided and agreed upon the fact that they would rebuild the wall. Nehemiah and his colleagues remained strong, even under sarcastic ridicule and mockery. You see, there were some men with very evil intent. They attempted to derail the project to rebuild. They did that by verbally attacking the guy's workmanship, the quality of the building materials. They, they did that by accusing Nehemiah and the group of rebellion against the king of Persia. But you see, the threats and the accusations were lies. And they, those lies were a direct assault on God's plan. So they stood firm and they continued with the plan. Nehemiah boldly professed their faith. He said over and over, we are God's servants. We are God's obedient ones. We worship God 
we will continue to build. It was an amazing feat. You see, it was a project supported by priests and rulers and laypersons all working together. Every segment of society was represented as they worked toward a common goal. I would love to spend a lot more time with that, but that would have to be another sermon series. Despite the challenges of continued opposition, despite the mundane drudgery and the overwhelming sameness of days and days of hauling rubble, despite the fear that enemies might attack again, these people continued to press on. They continued to persevere in accomplishing what God had called them to do. Nehemiah at one point had to implement quite strategic security measures because of increased opposition. But he and the people persevered and they continued to work even harder Nehemiah led them with faithful integrity. He prayed and he acted in joyful obedience, living out his faith in words and deeds. Nehemiah was elected governor and he was a very humble servant leader. He saw himself as an equal with the people. He didn't lord over anybody. He didn't accept a food allowance that his predecessors had received. He didn't acquire prosperity. He was very generous with his staff and those who came to visit. He acknowledged fear of high taxes and promised that they would not have to pay any more than they already were. Bottom line, Nehemiah was a humble servant leader. He was obedient. He was faithful to the calling that God had placed on his life. He was lovingly serving God and God's people. Over and over and over again, Nehemiah prayed. He prayed for God's continued will to be done. He prayed for God's protection. And he prayed confessing and proclaiming God's faithfulness, God's loving kindness. He also led the people in acknowledging their self-centered and sinful ways. And he led them continually in prayers of confession so that they might be able to repent of their sins, to receive the forgiveness of their sins. He set guidelines and boundaries in place. He taught people how to live out their faith in community, one with the other, how to encourage and support one another. He held people accountable And reminded them of God's mercy, his goodness, and his grace. Well, the hard work and dedication paid off. Some of you know the story well. The wall was rebuilt. It was dedicated. And Jerusalem became repopulated. As in many stories in the Bible, long lines of history and genealogy are listed. I must remind you that during Nehemiah's day, under the old covenant, the Jews had to prove their citizenship in God's holy city through their documentation of their heritage. But we say that we are under the new covenant through Jesus Christ our Lord. So for us, belonging to the kingdom of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not through striving or trying to earn that right. Right. 
It says in chapter 8 of Nehemiah that at the time of this celebration, people began to weep because of acknowledgement of their sins. They, you see, they had, had gathered by the water gate a whole crowd of folks to dedicate the wall and to praise God for his faithfulness. But as Ezra, the priest and the scribe, began to read from the book of the law, they were convicted by God's spirit within, and they, they weeped over their, their sinful ways. They were full of remorse, and it was at that time that Nehemiah spoke, declared the promise that we read this morning. He said, go and enjoy choice food and drinks. Rejoice in the Lord. Send some of those things to those who have nothing prepare. For, for this day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, their joy came from, first, their dedication to God, their commitment to God's ways and God's word, And thirdly, from their faith and trust in God. They recognized how deeply they had sinned against God. They confessed their sin. And then it was at that time, receiving full forgiveness, that they could experience the joy of the Lord. Scripture tells us that there were large choirs. It was a time of great joy. And there were many sacrifices of thanksgiving. So you see, the community was restored, and there was a sense of completion. I wish the story ended there, but it doesn't. I wish I could tell you this morning that Nehemiah's story is a a package wrapped with a nice, neat bow, all tied in a pretty manner. But it didn't happen that way. Nehemiah returned to serve the king of Persia, and the people in Jerusalem again chose to deviate from obedient and faithful living. They were backsliding into old patterns of behavior. They lived out their their lives with self-centered plans and arrogant ideas. Nehemiah ends his memoir with a prayer. A prayer saying, oh God, remember Remember your promises. Oh God, remember my obedience. Remember how I led the people. Remember how we all worked in community. Remember all that we accomplished together. Remember us, O oh Lord. Show mercy upon us according to your great love. Now to be clear, you know that God doesn't need to be reminded of his promises. But Nehemiah and all of us needed to be remind, to remind himself that God's promises are true. Nehemiah was discouraged and disappointed. He was tired after years and years of selfless service. He was leading the people in servant leadership. And quite honestly, I don't believe this was how Nehemiah thought his life story would end. It certainly was not the way he thought his memoir would be written. My friends, Nehemiah's story is not just for an example. It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus, the the Messiah, the author and finisher of our faith. For you see, under God's direction, I believe Nehemiah and the Jews rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem to make a way for Jesus. 
Jesus, who we know was a Jewish Messiah, one who would someday come for the purpose of tearing down all of the dividing walls, would come to be our hope, our help from heaven, our way, our truth, our life. Do you remember God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17? He told Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. You will be very fruitful in this covenant, will last, will be an everlasting covenant from generation to generation. This is where it hits home for us. Abraham, patriarch of the Jewish people, became the father of many nations through his son Isaac. And then it was passed on through Jacob and Judah and King David and Solomon. And then we get to the point where Ezra led the rebuilding of the temple. And then it's Nehemiah rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And then we get to Jesus. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our lineage. This is our spiritual DNA. And for those of you who don't believe that the Old Testament has anything to do with our life today, could I just remind you, think about how many of the stories point to Jesus, Savior. Messiah. For remember what it says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John goes on to say that anyone who receives and believes his name has the right to become children of God. That's us, my friends. That's us. So I realize this morning that many of us can relate to Nehemiah's thoughts and his feelings. Some of you in this place are saying this surely in no way, shape, or form is how I thought my life would be right now. Some of you are praying, remember me, O God. Have you seen what I've been doing? Some of you are saying, there's so much around me. I'm overwhelmed by what life is bringing to me. I'm overwhelmed by the pain. I'm overwhelmed with conflict in our family. I'm overwhelmed by fill in the blank. So today, let me suggest some ways that I believe we can live out our life in joy. The first one is this. I encourage you to desire more more of of a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. To know the Father's heart, to be able to, to learn his voice. Pray that you might have a hunger and a thirst, a passion for more of his word so that he might be able to reveal himself to each one of you personally. I also believe that we are being called to choose a lifestyle of obedience and of service. And that's hard, my friends, when when society is telling us one thing and God is leading us in a different direction. God is asking us to fast and to pray, to take action, and to be intentional about how we're living our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. I believe that includes taking risks and moving 
in obedience. I love what what Paul, the writer of Hebrews, says. You know, chapter 11 is what we call the faith chapter. And it's this, this repeating of all of these men and women who have walked the walk and talked the talk, the ancestors of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, about Abraham, it says this. Abraham, the father of all the nations, when called to go to a place that would later become his inheritance, by faith he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I believe that God is calling some of us to take a step. Where might God be calling you to trust in him and to take that next step? step of faith into the unknown. Again, I believe that another aspect of our living this out is to practice daily confession. We get so complacent with our sinful nature that it becomes a part of who we are. I encourage you to spend time each day confessing your sins to God and fully receiving his forgiveness. So as our communion liturgy states, we may be able to be freed for lives of joyful obedience. And lastly, I know this is is the foundation, but my friends, we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We need to look to him. He is the the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who restores. He is the one who rebuilds. He is the one who gives us strength when we are weak. He's the foundation of our joy. I believe that we are being called to worship him and serve him, to spend time with him. And just like the chorus says, when we do that, the things of earth... Our external circumstances will grow strangely dim, and we will be much more aware of his glory and of his grace. There's a 19th century theologian named Smith Wigglesworth that I love to read. His writings are so profound, and he says this, We never know how weak we are until we are covered by God's strength. My friends, let's admit it. I'll name it for all of us. We're a needy people. We're needy in our personal lives. We're needy in the local church. We're needy as a denomination of the United Methodist Church. We're needy as a community, as a nation. And we're needy around the world. We need Jesus to be our all in all. After all, he is our hope, our one defense And our righteousness. So today, my friends, let's admit our neediness and let's choose the joy, the joy of the Lord. In closing, I want to share with you earlier this week as I studied and as I journaled, I often journal my prayers. I was just simply uh, humbling myself before the Lord and asking that the Holy Spirit would reveal to me exactly what you needed to hear. And I'm not a Bible scholar, but God provided. And I simply want to take this time to declare the truth of God's word over each and every one of us. Joy, exercised with faith, often spelled R-I-S-K. 
joy, when we take a step forward into the unknown, believing God's promises are true. For God says in his word, he will never leave us nor forsake us. His mercies are new every morning. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He sent Jesus into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Jesus said, in this world you have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is our light and our salvation, the author and perfecter of our faith. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. And in a world that is changing constantly, when we don't know what tomorrow will bring, He is our constant. He is our rock and fortress. He is our refuge and strength of very present help in time of trouble. He is the one who searches us and knows us. And he still loves us. He forgives our sins. He blesses us with the presence and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he reminds us that we are unique and beautiful creations. He reminds us that he has plans for us to give us a hope, a future with hope. Experience this joy comes through knowing him through his word desiring to know more of his voice, knowing his heart, and to be comforted and strengthened and empowered. And it requires stepping forward in faith, acknowledging our sins, acknowledging our weaknesses, our neediness, and claiming the hope that we have in him. It means surrendering versus striving. It means that we stand firm in the truth that in Him we live and move and have our being. My friends, let's be a people who chooses joy.